Today we pick up in Luke chapter 9, where we left off last week. And so if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please find your way to Luke chapter 9, and I want to share it with you. A message about coming after Christ through daily death. Coming after Christ through daily death. As I mentioned, we'll be in Luke chapter 9. We'll start in verse 23, but I just want to share with you a little bit of an experience from my own life yesterday. Uh, Lizzie's already alluded to it with the, the Facebook photos, but Amy and I had the privilege yesterday of going to Winter Jam with our student ministry here in the church, the Kiln students. And in case some of you didn't know, Winter Jam is a concert with 10 different artists or 10 different bands that perform on one night. And it only costs $10 to get in. Uh, Now, it's pretty hard to get admission to such a concert under regular circumstances. But but to get such an awesome display of good musicians that are gathering together to praise the Lord for just a dollar a band is really a, a pretty rare sort of opportunity. And so with that being a general admission sort of thing, the wait, as you might imagine, to get into this concert can be pretty long. In fact, large church groups tend to go way early in the day and line up just so that they can be sure they can get into this event. And so that's what our student ministry set out to do yesterday. We met here at the church at 1 o'clock and we set out not long after that for a concert that didn't officially start until 6 o'clock. So five hours early, we're here meeting, ready to go on the road. Now, I'm bivocational, so I work a pretty busy schedule that, that only allows me, in the regular work week, two partial days to prepare for all the things that are ministry-related. And my ministry leaders will probably tell you that I spend those two days sending emails to them because uh, I am a prolific email author <laughs> at times. That it doesn't always allow a lot of time during the regular work week. Now, I do have my mornings and my evenings, but I have other things that are church responsibilities that I do fill those with. And so so usually Saturdays for me are pretty busy times to be preparing for sermons. So when I knew that there was an opportunity and invitation to go and be a part of this thing with our students yesterday, I began by calling the Coliseum to see if it would be possible for me to use a little bit of the time that I was going to be there and be waiting in the line by taking, you know, either my Ultrabook computer or by taking a tablet, like an iPad, along with me to the concert so that I could just, you know, at least work on my outline a little bit. You know, I'd done some work earlier in the day, but there's a lot of work that goes into these messages. I know some of you have a hard time believing that, but it does, all right? And so uh, I called them, said, can I bring these devices? And security said, no. All right, so backup plan for me then was to stay in the car and to work for a little while while Amy and the others from our group waited in that long line to ensure that we could get tickets to this concert. And I said, I'll come in after you because that seemed like the right idea. When we pulled up at 2 o'clock, there was already a line that must have stretched the length of at least two football fields that was wrapped around of individuals who were waiting out in the cold rain to get into this concert. And those doors for general admission were not going to open until 5. So that was three hours of just standing out in the cold rain that I thought I can redeem some of this time by focusing on sermon preparation. And I told the rest of the group, you know, I'll come in after you later. I'll come after you. And then 
I'll either find you in line or I'll just come in a little bit later and you save a seat for me. So that was our plan until it wasn't. Because Amy called me about 30 minutes or so after they'd gotten in line and she said, we're going into the building. We're we're close to being at the door here in just a few moments. She said, they keep moving us up. And I said, well, that's great, but I have work to do. I'll just catch up with you guys in a little bit. Well, then Amy called me again about 20 minutes after that and said, we're inside. You should come and join us. There are lots of people here. I'm worried that if you wait, you won't be able to get into the concert. And so I powered off my computer. I exited the car, and then I headed to the line that was waiting to get into the building on this sloped entryway that had walls on either side of the entryway. Now, it's raining outside, it's cold, and we're dealing with youth groups. So, at this time, there are people packed in, lined up against those doors with umbrellas, and I am trying to fight my way through those umbrellas and ducking in and out. And I can't tell you the number of excuse me's or I'm sorry's I said in this moment, trying to get to the very front of the line so that I could get in and find my way to this group but finally after about 30 minutes of of squeezing and apologizing and stopping to plot my next move I got to the front of the line and the doors opened and the people cheered and everybody started to go in and that's when I suddenly realized that everyone who was going in was wearing a red lanyard that was being scanned at the gate so I didn't realize that until yesterday, but, but apparently when you attend Winter Jam, the $10 admission tickets that you can buy at the door are not the only tickets that you can buy. If you'll spend $25 more, you can avoid the rain. You can avoid the wait. You can get into the concert at 3.30. Another thing I did not realize was that my wife was in the building, but she wasn't close to the actual place where the concert would be. She was outside the ticketing area. So the final thing I didn't realize was that I was in the wrong line. And when I got to the front of the line where they were scanning these badges, I said, my wife's in there and she has my ticket. They weren't real happy about it, but they let me through. And then again, at the security line, I said, my wife is in there. She's got my ticket and they let me through. And so just a little after 3.30... I was into the Colosseum, but my wife and our students were nowhere to be found, all right? They were in the building, but they were still waiting for the gates to open at 5 o'clock to get into the general admission crowd. I thought I was coming after my wife, but I found that I was wrong. She wasn't there. So let me summarize my afternoon yesterday for all of you. Your pastor broke into a concert it was inadvertent but it still happened okay once I realized my mistake my mistake I thought about going back through security and fighting another line of umbrellas to get to our crowd but instead I decided that I would stay out in the hallways lean up against the wall and work on my sermon from my cell phone hoping that no one would notice that I was the one person in the building who didn't have a big red lanyard around my neck. And I didn't dare go into the performance area of that Coliseum because I wasn't going to listen to stolen music, okay? 
So after about an hour and a half of that, our students finally joined me, and I was an officially ticketed attendee, and I was able to enjoy this concert. But you know, I thought, I've got to get a sermon illustration out of this whole ordeal. And sure enough, here it is, all right? I wanted to come after our group. I wanted to join them where they were. But I took the wrong route. And while some people may prefer to get into the concert early, that was not my desire. I wanted to be where our students were. More precisely, I wanted to be where Amy, my wife, was. I wanted to come after her. But when I got to where I was going, I found that she wasn't there. And it was a miserable experience for me. And in today's passage, we encounter Jesus preparing his disciples to come after him. He's teaching them about how they can be with him where he is. So as he begins speaking with them in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, and he lays down the route which the disciples must take if they are going to come after him. Now it's worthy of our consideration before we jump into this passage. What is the destination that Jesus is calling his disciples to consider? What is this place that he is calling them to come after him to? When Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he's conveying through that statement that there is some place where he is going where not everyone else is going. In fact, it is only those who hear his voice and who trust his leading into a life that is yielded to his control, we learn in this passage, who are coming after him to this same place. So where is Jesus heading that his disciples should desire to come after him? Well, Jesus has just spoken in verse 22, as we looked at last week, about his impending suffering and his impending resurrection and his impending Uh, rejection ultimately he talks about before that resurrection and execution by the Jews but he ended that prediction as I mentioned by assuring his disciples that he would be raised up on the third day that is Jesus is telling his disciples that he will ultimately through this experience win the victory over death so surely there's an element in which he and his words here that, that follow in verse 23, the very next verse, he is inviting his disciples to come after him in winning the victory over death. But this prediction also comes after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. We saw that back in verse 20. We talked about this a little bit last week. The Christ, this idea of an anointed one also known as Messiah, if you're dealing with the Hebrew word. That the Christ was this one, this anointed prophet, priest, and king, whom all the nation was waiting for to be their savior, to be the one who would lead them into righteousness, who would lead them into an everlasting kingdom that God had promised. And so the disciples have just confessed that back in verse 20. They've just come to realize that he is indeed the Christ, And he now begins to reshape their expectations of what the Christ would do. He wouldn't take up an immediate throne on earth like they expected. He wouldn't be the one who would come triumphant and conquer the Roman government here at that very moment. No, first 
Jesus will head to Jerusalem. First, he will face a cross. First, he will die. And then he will win the victory over death. And then he will return to his heavenly father for a time. And so Jesus begins to prepare his disciples so that they would know that he will soon be going away from them. And after they confess him as Christ, he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And Luke turns the narrative such that what we see from this point is Jesus moving with his disciples into that great holy city where his execution would take place. But Jesus also wants his disciples to know that they can come after him to this place where he is going. And actually there are four chapters in John's gospel where this teaching of Jesus' departure culminates. These are John's chapter, John chapters 14 through 17. And they're, all, they're typically described as the farewell discourse. Because in that passage, we find Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. He's telling them farewell. And he tells them in John 13, 36, for example, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. That is, he tells them that they will come after him to the place where he is going. Then he comforts his disciples in the opening verses of chapter 14 by informing them that he's going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. That where he is, they may be also. And he makes it so clear that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one goes to the father except through him. Then in John 16, 5, Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me. In, in verse 28 of chapter 16, he says, I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Then Jesus prays to the Father in John 17, 24 with the words, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me will be where, with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me For you love me before the foundation of the world. Do you see this pattern here, my friends? Jesus is now heading for heaven. He is on a straight trajectory to return to his father once his mission is complete. But he wanted his disciples to know that they can come after him. And so he sets out to show them. He says, do you want to come after me? Then get in this line. Live this way. Pursue this life don't take the wrong route don't get the idea that you're coming after me like pastor jeremy thought he was coming after amy only to realize when he got there that she wasn't there at the end of the line that he thought she would be and here's the frightening reality of this passage there are many individuals all around us who say that they are coming after jesus There are many individuals who say that they are Christians and say that they are bound for heaven. But their lives are not in line with this passage. The lives that they live do not show that they are coming after a Christ that is in the way that he says one must come after him in these verses. And don't get me wrong, salvation is by grace through faith not as a result of our works but Jesus makes it clear that true faith will be evidenced in the work that it produces in the life of 
the believer. And so my friends, the most important lesson is on display here for us on this day. It is a most important lesson. Do you wish to come after Jesus? Then you must come according to his terms. Let's look now at what those terms are in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. If you will, I'd ask that you would stand that we might honor together the reading of God's word. Luke 9, starting in verse 23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I see in this passage three commands for those who wish to come after Jesus. We're only going to cover the first of those here today. And I plan to preach through the other two next week. But oh, this first one is so important. Do you want to come after Jesus? Hear this first command from him. You must carry your cross daily. This is every Christian's directive. In verse 23, we see Jesus is speaking to everyone. He was saying to them all, the verse says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must do these things. This is not by the way, over and above Christianity. What Jesus puts on display for us here is regular Christianity. This is not some special path of discipleship. Being a disciple is not some higher level of being saved beyond just what an average person who is saved would be. Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus reserves his more radical statements like this for certain individuals who've been bonked in the head with a holy coconut that fell out of the sky. But that's not an above and beyond sort of call. This is not a call for a select few. This is normal Christianity. Every Christian is called to carry a cross. As Spurgeon once said, there are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. And I say, don't get the impression that Jesus has some other form of normal Christianity that allows you to pursue your dreams for success and your personal fulfillment, living in your own luxury while you pop in and out of a good evangelical church like this one, dropping a little money in the offering every once in a while without worrying about the concepts of self-denial, sacrifice, and bearing a cross. Because there is no Christianity 
which lives another way than this. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must do these things. And so I say to you, do you wish to come after Jesus? Then you must carry your cross. Not only that, Jesus says that every Christian must do these things daily. Now we know, right, here living in the South, that Chick-fil-A is closed on what day? Sundays, that's right, so that everybody can go to church, right? But I think there's a negative perception that goes along with that in the South, and that we know that church is that, that church is on, on on Sundays, and that's why Chick-fil-A is closed in, but we think that the church is closed for the other six days of the week. We think that we're only called to be a Christian on these days, when the reality is that Christ calls us daily to pick up our cross and to bear it for His glory. Daily He calls us to these things. Christians ought to follow Jesus as Lord. They've entrusted their lives to His saving grace. They've given him the spot of chief commanding officer of their lives. This is the extreme opposite of living for yourself. And so I want to share with you as we think through this concept of carrying your cross daily. Three daily choices that the crucified Christian must make. Here's the first one. Today, I choose to deny myself Jesus says in verse 23 the one who wishes to come after him must deny himself every Christian is called to deny himself or herself this is not a call to works which earn your own salvation you'll never purify the water just by painting the pump in fact it's our own self-denial that leads us to Christ The essence of crying out to Christ to be our Savior and our Lord is that we come to realize that we cannot save ourselves. We deny ourselves of any credit for self-saving sufficiency. And so we run with open arms to the one, the only one who can save us. I deny my ability for Jeremy Parker to be my Savior or a Savior of anything. I deny my ability to do that. That's why I've yielded my life to Jesus. I need his salvation. I have denied myself, and that's Christ's call for every Christian. And I don't need your big self-help books. I am contented to be helpless, but only so long as the one who can help me is showering his grace into my life. Let me be denied. Let his grace and let his will and let his plans be in control because today I choose to deny myself. If Christ calls for you to do the same, brothers and sisters, our enemy works at the other extreme. He calls for you to question what Christ calls you to deny. He cries out, has God really said that you shouldn't eat the fruit of that tree? Hey man, God's holding you back. Do something for yourself for a change. And we say, I need this relationship, even though we know it would upend God's will. Or we say, I need this habit, even though we know it threatens destruction over all that we otherwise hold dear in our lives. And hear me on this, friends. If you don't deny yourself, you're going to deny Jesus. That's just the way it works out. 
a self-denying Christian is one who isn't in it following Jesus for all the things he can get out of it. He isn't just focused on miracles and healing. His attention isn't centered on personal pleasures. His focus is on Christ or her focus is on Christ. Every day, this individual reports for duty and says, I'm ready to serve, Lord. Where do you need me? If that leads this one into unpopular places, if that leads him into obscurity, if that leads him into what the world would consider to be a failure, then so be it. The cross-bearing Christian is willing to suffer rejection and pain and death because that's what his master has endured to grant to him something so much greater than what this world could ever offer. And so you must carry your cross. And the first daily choice that Jesus demands of the crucified Christian is that. But the second one is this. Today, I choose to sacrifice myself. Jesus goes on in verse 23 to say, not only must the one who desires to come after him take up his cross not, not only must he deny himself, but he also must take up his cross. The cross that Jesus calls us to bear is the criminal's cross. We're not talking about gold or silver in some form of jewelry on a chain that enhances your beauty. It's okay to wear those. I've got crosses all around the, the ring that I wear here. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about decorating yourself. We're not talking about a piece of art in a museum or on a church wall that inspires our appreciation and our admiration. No, this cross is the world's most cruel instrument of human torture. You cannot wear it. You must bear it. And as you bear it, you are led to the place of your very execution. In modern day terms, we're talking about bearing the waterboarding equipment, the gas chamber, the electric chair, and the lethal injection all bound together in one. In Jesus' day, you didn't speak about bearing your cross when something irritated you. Your mother-in-law was not bearing your cross, all right? The fact that you might have some sort of irritation in your life was not bearing your cross. You didn't speak about a cross when you were encountering everyday sufferings. No, the cross was an instrument of slow, tortuous execution. Those who heard Jesus on this day knew that someone who took up his cross was for all practical purposes a dead man. A man bearing his cross had nothing more in this world which could hold his hope. He was bound for death. He was destined to live for himself no more. He knew that his time on earth was very limited. And surely in this moment, Jesus was thinking forward to his very own moment when he would be sentenced by a Roman official to bear a cross in a very humiliating, very public way as he took it to Golgotha, as he took it to Calvary, as he took it to Skull Hill to bear the weight of your sins and mine. Surely this was on Jesus' mind, his real experience of humiliation, that awaited him. And yet Jesus pressed on. But Jesus was dead to himself. He had chosen to be a sacrifice. And you know, every command of Jesus is a call to die and a call to live. Because every command he gives you as Lord and King is a command which calls for you to die to yourself and to live for him. 
Think of what bearing a cross meant for the first disciples. At times, the roads of Jerusalem were lined with hundreds of crosses bearing dead and dying men. Their bodies were bloated in the sun. They were surrounded by flies, covered with maggots. This was not a pretty thought for one who calculated to win the masses. Jesus is not out to win a following with flowery and sugary language. Estimates say that up to 30,000 Jews were crucified during the lifetime of Jesus alone. And this is Jesus' call to his disciples. Doesn't sound very appealing, does it? And yet the disciples sacrificed themselves. They took up their crosses. How did they sacrifice themselves? It would be edifying for us to know how did they respond in the very immediate time after his call to do this very thing. Maybe that's instructive for us. What did the disciples do? Well, they gave up material goods and they became dependent on God to supply their daily needs. They set out on mission to places where people would reject them. They often surrendered earthly ties to their jobs, their relationships, their homelands, those things which made them feel safe and secure. And they yet ultimately found that their destination on earth was not worldly recognition or fame or wealth. Their ultimate destination on earth was rejection and total humiliation. Their ultimate destination was capital punishment by those who despised their cause. They were bound for a cross that ended in death. So don't water down this call for Christ on every Christian to carry a cross daily because those who knew him best Those who knew him in person, those who spent their lives with him on earth, did not water down this call. And my friends, the cross is laid on every Christian. We're all called to radically abandon the things of this world which deceive us into thinking that they will provide our greatest satisfaction. We've all resolved to do that. That's what we portray in our baptisms just as you've seen sweet Hannah do here this morning. We've given the world this picture which says, I am dead to the old person that I was, and I am now raised to live for Christ. As Paul says in Romans 6, 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is challenging, my friends. Dead to our old nature, And our old desires is not simply what must wait to the end of our lives or the perfection of our sanctification. Death to the old man greets every Christian at the door through which he comes by faith. And yet so few Christians, quote unquote, live a life that says, today I choose to sacrifice for myself. And we wonder why our community and why our nation is such a slush pit We say that more people need to hear the gospel, and that's true. But we don't just need individuals who hear the message of the cross. We need more individuals who bear the marks of the cross. We need more individuals who will, by the way that they live, say that their old ambitions, my old dreams, my old life is no more. I am dead to this world, and I am alive to Christ. This world ain't got nothing that's going to let me 
be lured away from the one who calls me to come after him. Thirdly, we must be ready if we are desiring to come after cross to live this crucified life daily. We must be willing to say today I choose to surrender myself. Jesus says whoever would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross. And then in verse 23 he says and follow me. The disciple who has resolved to deny himself and sacrifice himself by being crucified has only one direction to go. When you are carrying your cross, there is only one direction you will go. There is no going back. When you are carrying your cross to your execution, you've said all of your goodbyes. You have no further plans of your own. You are living a life of total surrender. And Christ calls for each of us to live a life of total surrender. A life of following Him. The fact that Jesus calls for us to follow him gives us a hint that as we deny ourselves and we take up our crosses, we're not simply called to forsake the world in a way that causes us to sit around like a hermit. Right? I mean, one way you could, you could obey those first two commands of denying yourself and taking up your cross to be dead to the things of this world would be just, let me go lock myself in my basement, Right? Let me stay away from all worldly things and just have blocks around me and then I'll know that I'm not going to face anything that's going to cause me to be distracted in another way. But Jesus calls us to a life of purpose. Jesus calls us to a life of following him. Jesus calls us to an active life. A life that says, Lord, show me where you want me to be today. Lord, let me be on mission for you. He doesn't call us to a life that's going to be desperate and and depressing he calls us to a real life he calls us to a real new passion he calls us to pursue him and in pursuing him we find real fulfillment real purpose something that really drives us for the cause for which we were created and that must be our confession that we would be willing to be surrendered living and active life it's not that we would not have any pleasure anymore being a christian is not a life devoid of pleasure being a christian my friends is a life with a greater pleasure that has been discovered it's a life that replaces the old pleasures of things that i used to pursue and says that jesus is my new pleasure serving him honoring him finding him to be all that he is coming after him is my new pleasure. And the fact that we're following Jesus in this pursuit should be one which causes us to pause and think that, you know, Jesus, who held all glory, all authority, all power, as the divine second person of the Trinity, as the very Word of God, Jesus, who held all of these things, still took upon himself human flesh. He he still took upon himself flesh which caused him to be a crying and helpless babe. Flesh which caused him to experience 
the, the, the troubles and the betrayals of friends who turned against him. Flesh which caused him to feel the pain and the agony of being whipped. The, the flesh which caused him to weep when those whom he loved died. But flesh which could really experience the pains of nails going through your head. Flesh which could really experience the humiliation of individuals spitting on you and mocking you and cramming a crown of thorns onto your brow. And friends, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's not calling us to do anything that he himself has not already done for us. He has already richly, through his grace, stepped into humanity so that he can do the very things that he now calls you to do as you follow him. And he is so much more worthy than we are. He is so much more powerful than we are. And if we are really replacing our affections, if we are really replacing the things that we are pursuing, our pleasures with his glory, then my friends, we will come to understand that he is so worthy of it all. He who has stepped in our place to ransom us to God is so worthy of it all. And those who knew Jesus well knew that he is worth dying to everything else for. And the question for you is, do you know that he is worthy of you bearing a cross for him? I read about a young African man who was martyred for his faith in Christ in the nation of Zimbabwe. And after he was martyred, after he was killed for his faith, these words were found in his possession. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I do not have to be right. First, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. Lean into his presence. Walk by patience. Am uplifted by prayer. And I labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me because my banner will have been clear and friends i don't know about you but when i read this passage in christ's call for me i am challenged and it's a challenge that i need 
It's a challenge that spurs me into fresh commitment. A challenge that causes me to look at today and tomorrow as different days than I would have had I not spent the time studying through this passage this week. And I hope that that challenge has extended to you as well. But my friends, I want you to know that Christ is so worth it. He is so worth giving all that we are and all that we have in pursuit of Him, in abandonment of this world, and in hope of what He has prepared for us. And friends, when we talk about going after Jesus, we're talking about going to our heavenly home. We're talking about going to where we would would be designed to be. We're talking about going to everlasting peace. We're talking about having treasures forevermore as we trade away the treasures here and now. And so let us, my friends, take up our cross and bear it for this Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is so challenging. Father, help us to examine our hearts and our lives. Are we truly knowing Christ as Lord? Are we truly yielding our lives to His control? Are we truly, O Lord, pursuing the things which You call us to pursue in such a way that we would be dead to ourselves, living for the One who has provided for us everlasting peace? Father, I just pray that as we encounter this passage, as we encounter these tough truths, that You, through the power of Your Spirit, Lord, would call us into greater devotion cause us to reflect on the great grace which you've displayed that is so worthy of all that we have and provides so much more hope than this world could ever offer and may we O lord be found pursuing you with all that we are every day i pray it in jesus name amen